Hi. Welcome to A Girl in the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee. I'm a blogger, a growth marketing manager, and now I'm a podcast producer. I'm a lover of all things coffee, houseplants, and of course, Jesus. And if you can't tell, your girl got a new microphone, so we are in business. And if the sound quality is a little bit better in this episode, that is why. I also have this weird cough that is going on. So if I pause and cough, I'll obviously edit it out, but that's what's, that's why my voice sounds so raspy. Um, so in this episode, we are going to be briefly talking about cancel culture. And I feel like it's a buzzword that has just overtaken the world right now, but it really is nothing new. Cancel culture has been around since Jesus was around. You have the Samaritans who were canceled. Women were canceled back in the day. Much more women who were sexually active. The disabled were canceled. I mean, the list could just go on and on and on. And so cancel culture now has kind of been described as this removing support for public figures in response to their objectionable behavior or opinions. And this can include things from boycotts or just a pure refusal to um, promote their work. Cancel culture also nowadays approaches the use of social media to kind of organize these outcries that threaten this kind of like swift reprisal if its demands are not met immediately. And so anyone can organize such a protest, right? Whether it's whether their outrage and their called for response are justified or not. And you have a few examples. So you have editors are fired for running controversial pieces. Books are withdrawn for alleged inauthenticity. Journalists are being barred from writing on certain topics. Professors are investigated for quoting works of literature in class. A researcher has been fired for circulating a peer-reviewed academic study. And the heads of organizations are ousted um, for what sometimes is just a clumsy mistake. And so I want to be very clear that criticism on social media is not cancel culture unless it tries to cancel the subject in some way. So New York Times columnist Ross Douthat writes that you are not being canceled if you are merely being heckled or insulted. No matter how vivid and threatening the heckling becomes, you are decidedly at risk of cancellation. However, if your critics are calling you to be deplatformed or fired or put out of business. And so digital technology nowadays kind of makes it possible to call for this cancellation of those who do not adhere to these kind of like moral norms or uh, on this like unprecedented level of reach and immediacy. So anyone with access to the internet can post their outrage um, at these perceived offenses. And anyone who then kind of likes or forwards these posts can join in on this instant cl- conflagration. I'm not saying that right, but that's that's what it is, conflagration. Um, so Vill- Villanova professor Jill McCorkle adds that this collective canceling of somebody creates this sense of community. She says that it reinforces at a time of political division a sense of shared solidarity, at least among the people who are doing said canceling, she says. It's psychologically intoxicating to feel part of a group and to feel a part of something larger than yourself. So cancel culture is rooted in this postmodern assertion that all truth claims are individual and they are subjective. 
And each of us interprets our experience of the world in ways that are very unique to us, right? And as a result, we're told there can be no such thing as objective truth. And conventional wisdom therefore claims that there is only your truth and my truth. Of course, to deny objective truth is actually to make an objective truth claim. And so tolerance is therefore the great value of our society, right? We are told that we must tolerate and we must affirm any behavior that does not actually harm others. However, our tolerant culture is highly intolerant of anyone it actually perceives to be intolerant. And so cancel culture is just the latest expression of this contradiction. And cancel culture also picks up where the courts have left off, right? So if you believe actually that life begins at conception, let's say for, this is an example, many will accuse you of waging war on women. And if you have stated these beliefs publicly, you really shouldn't be surprised if abortion advocates surface your statements and then use social media to call for reprisals against you and your company, your school, your church, whatever it is that you're affiliated with. And then on the flip side, right, if you have stated that marriage should be this lifelong covenant between a man and a woman, your homophobia and your bigotry may be used against you. And if you have made the biblical statement that Jesus is the only way to heaven, your intolerance may likewise lead to reprisals. You see, the more visible your social status and leadership, the more you are a, the more of a target you're likely to become. And so in Richard Nibbers, I don't think I'm saying his last name right, but um, he wrote the book called Christ and Culture. And he has these five ways that the two relate have related historic, historically, Christ and culture. And his model is pretty useful for, for this discussion today as well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through the five very quickly. So the first is that a Christ, Christ against culture approach is kind of to retreat from engagement with the fallen world with this world that we live in. We are less likely to be canceled if we don't make certain statements or take stands on social issues. But this approach is actually really difficult to reconcile with our call as Christians to be the salt and the light in our culture. And you can find that in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. The second is that a, a Christ of culture approach is to adopt the shifting cultural norms of the day. So if we change our minds, right, on homosexual activity, for, for example, we cannot be accused of homophobia and we may be applauded for our tolerance. But the Bible prohibition against such activity is very clear despite claims to the contrary. And then the third is that a Christ above culture approach is to kind of divorce Sunday from Monday and then religion from the real world. However, to the degree that we are clear about our biblical beliefs, at least with our Christian friends, we actually risk being criticized for them by secular culture. The fourth is, is this a Christ and culture in paradox approach, which engages cultural issues for the sake of evangelism and ministry, but focuses less on cultural transformation. And so to speak biblical truth on controversial issues, however, is to open ourselves to cancellation, even if we are not attempting to change the culture itself. And the last one is a Christ-transforming culture approach, which seeks to change minds, lives, and society. And such initiative will especially face um, attacks and cancellations and probably much worse. 
And so Jesus was very blunt. If the world hates you, know that it had it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He says this in John 15, 18 through 19. And then Paul goes on to add a warning. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And he says this in 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 13. Francis Chan also made the note that something is wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers unbelievers. And a lot of youth ministers back in the day would say, if you and the devil aren't opposing one another, you're probably going in the right direction or in the same direction. And so how should Christians respond to this, this uproar of, of cancel culture? Well, the first way is that we need to seek the reward of God before the acclaim of culture. And so it's often possible to serve both both Christ and Caesar. And you can reference Matthew twenty two twenty one. You have Joseph also who was able to serve the Egyptian Pharaoh and his Jewish family. You have Nehemiah who was a cupbearer to the Persian king and the governor of Jerusalem. Esther was a queen in Persia as well as her people's protector. But when we must choose, we must choose Christ over Caesar. And so Peter and John said to um, Sanhedrin's demands that the apostles cease preaching. And they said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And they said this in Acts 4, 19 through 20. And then Daniel also continued to pray to God in defiance of the king's edict. And Jeremiah risked his life to speak prophetic truth to the king. It's a paradoxical fact that the less that we ha- we seek the acclaim of people, the more faithfully we can minister to them. Um, Henry Nowen noted that we can really be in this world. We can be involved in the world. We can be actively engaged in the world precisely because we do not belong to it. Precisely because that is not our dwelling place. Precisely because our home is in God and we can be in the world and speak words of healing, of confrontation, of invitation, and of challenge. And so the second way that Christians can approach um, cancel culture is to choose to engage the culture with truth and with grace. So Jesus's words are everywhere on libraries and universities across the land, right? It says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free via John 8, 32. But context to this verse is so vital because in the previous verses, our Lord said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Only on this condition would they know the truth and be set free by the truth. So here we learn this vital fact, right? That humans find freedom only in the obedience to the word of God. And so as a result, when we speak truth to the culture, we are giving them a gift that they desperately need but can find absolutely nowhere else. And so counter to the postmodern claim that all truth is personal and subjective, which makes evangelism and ministry a quote-unquote imposition of our beliefs on others, we are actually sharing good news that is vital and transforming. 
And so it's urgent that we continue to speak biblical truth to these cultural issues, but it's also urgent that we speak the truth in love. In fact, such kindness is especially important as our response to the unkindness of others. So Jesus told his followers, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. In Jesus' day, the left hand was never used in public. And as a result, if I were to slap you on the right cheek with my right hand, I must employ this kind of backhanded motion. And this is obviously a shaming action rather than this life-threatening attack. And so Jesus's words actually depict physically what cancel culture through social media attempts to do verbally. According to our Lord, we must not respond in kind. And scripture is very clear. We are to put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander in 1 Peter 2.1. Instead, we are actually to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. And with our words and our attitudes, we are to reflect the truth and the grace of our Lord. And Paul actually encouraged Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. We do this by our personal character. We do this by pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. To pursue, and the Greek word here means to run hard after these virtues in our fallen culture, is actually indeed a fight. To pursue those those characteristics is a fight. And we do it by our public words. You see, it says, if we devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching in 1 Timothy 4.13. And I'm actually super convinced that if Paul were alive today, he would be using social media to spread the good news of God's love and the truth of his word. And he would be facing criticism or worse. And so let's be faithful, friends, to speak biblical truth with biblical grace. Let's remember that those who reject this truth are the ones who need it the most. And let's choose the courage that honors Jesus and demonstrates the relevance and the power of our faith to this fallen world. And so I want to read you from Matthew 18, 21 through 35, where Jesus talks, where he talks about forgiveness a little bit. And in 21, it says, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I still forgive him? Up to 77 times or up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77. And so here Jesus isn't telling us to forgive our brothers 490 times or 70 or 77. He's telling us we should always forgive our brothers when they have sinned against us. God in heaven has forgiven us all of humanity's sins and how wrong it would be for us to deny our brothers and sisters a similar forgiveness for much lesser matters. And then Jesus goes on to tell this terrible or this parable and the rest of the, the verses. He says, for this re- reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owned him or one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since, but since he did not have the means to repay, his master commanded that he be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. 
And the master of the slave felt compassion and he released him and he forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and he seized him and he began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he would pay him back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their master all that happened. Then summoning him, his master said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you for all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also have, should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his master moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he would repay all that he was owed. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother um, from your heart. And so to fully understand what Jesus was saying, we must actually look at the context of this whole chapter, right? For Jesus was speaking not only about forgiving one another, but about Christian character in general, both in and outside of the church. So the admonition to forgive our brother 77 times 7 um follows Jesus's discourse on discipline within the church. And you can find this in Matthew 18, 15 through 20, right? Which is, I think, before what I just read, but in which he lays down the rules for restoring a sinning, a sinning brother. However, even though Jesus teaches this boundless forgiveness, so I guess he doesn't indicate whether forgiveness has conditions. And so the author of the Gospel of Luke repeats this same story, but adds a condition to forgiveness, stating that church members must forgive boundlessly if there is repentance. And so you see, we offer forgiveness as many times as needed. And I think so often, sometimes it hinges on the fact of, of repentance on the other person's behalf. Um I think too often in the cancel culture craze, actually, let me, let me recount that. I think that for your own, um, sake and well-being and, um, your own spiritual journey with God and being right with him, I think that you are to rid yourself of any malice. You are to rid yourself of any bitterness, um, that you're harboring, uh, and you are to forgive whether or not you yourself maybe have been forgiven for that person or whether or not you have, um, tried to have that conversation with that person and they just flat out reject you, you cannot hold on to that. You have to just forgive and move forward. And so I think there's different circumstances where maybe in the church there needs to be this act of repentance, you know, um, because they are Christ followers and that kind of is the way of things in, in terms of the Bible. But I think when maybe when you're talking about people of the world and people who are kind of just in this secular view, um, it's better to just go ahead and forgive them because you don't want to be harboring that. You don't want to be carrying that malice and that evil and that unforgiveness inside of yourself. And so I think too often in the cancel culture craze, there, there maybe are these acts of repentance and there is this acknowledgement of ignorance or this real willingness to learn, but the world has just already turned their back on that person and the world has already ostracized and outcast them. Whereas we Christians, again, we're called to forgive. We don't and we can't pretend to know the work that God is doing in that person's heart or their life. And so who are we, right, to not offer forgiveness when God has forgiven us for everything that we've done in our own lives? 
it just really wouldn't be fair of us as Christians. And so with that, I will end this rambling and I'll let you get on with your day, your night or wherever. Um, And as always, I really hope that you got something out of all this. I hope that you'll continue on this journey of podcasting with me. And if you like this podcast, if you you really um, resonate with it, let me know, leave a review, subscribe. I would love and um, appreciate it so, so much. And also head on over to Instagram, follow along at a girl on the word podcast, just to keep up to date with everything going on. Join the community. Let's fellowship with one another. Let's grow in Christ together this year. And I will see you next time. God bless you.